Stacey Must. I'm the owner and founder of Citizen Yoga in Detroit and Cleveland, and you are listening to After Class. After Class is our podcast where we have the opportunity to interview and talk to our community, to our teachers, um, to people who inspire us, to continue pushing our mission um, of mental health and suicide prevention within the Detroit community, within the Cleveland community, and beyond. So today, our guest, I'm so excited, is Olivia Warren. And Olivia Warren, I think you guys probably know Cindy Warren. Uh, Cindy teaches in our Cleveland location, but she's, you know, on our online platform. She also was in our first season of After Class. She's such an exceptional person. And Olivia, her daughter, agreed to come on to talk to us from the perspective of a high school senior, to talk about the effects of COVID um, on somebody who's a little younger, to talk about cancel culture, the effects of social media, and you know, we'll, we'll go into all different topics. So Olivia, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. So, I mean, obviously from your mother, I, and she's not biased at all. <laughs> I have heard such incredible things about you and what you're passionate about. So especially right now in the United States, um, just tell all of us um, some of the things that you're really passionate about. Well, I mean, we're in the middle of like this huge civil rights movement, which I think is really amazing to be a young person to be a part of. Um, something I think you're especially aware of because it's what you've been learning about like you've learned about the last century and you hear about all these movements and you never expect to be alive during them um but i think the special thing about what's happening right now with black lives matter is it's about more than racial equality which obviously is just a big demand in itself but i think it's really pushing people to make the world a better place in any way. So it also covers environmental justice, which I think is also an equally pressing topic, and transgender rights and feminism. And it's all a part of Black Lives Matter. And it's also happening as we're coming on an election. And I think that it just makes people who are younger than 18 who can't even vote feel like they really have Mm. a place to make their voices heard. Wow, I forgot about that, that you can't vote until you're yeah. 18. So Are you going to be able while. to vote in this? Oh. No, I don't turn 18 for like a year. So what What? What are some of the things that you do um, to sort of push your own political agenda, your own political views, um, your own values into society before the moment that you get to vote? Um, well, I go to Shaker Heights High School, which is just a great place because they, they love like students starting their own organizations to make their voice heard. So when I was a freshman, I started Political Action Club, which just does like local things. And the biggest thing we really do is we just sit and discuss like current events and stuff. And while you think that like my community is very liberal, so you think everyone is just very politically homogenous, we really go in depth into issues and just challenge ourselves to understand them more. So even though we can't vote, we're preparing ourselves to be like informed voters, which I think is like a very um, important like civic duty. Mm-hmm. And um, last year I started Extinction Rebellion Youth, which Extinction Rebellion is like this huge international climate justice organization. So I started the local youth branch in Cleveland. And um, that's just also a bunch of kids who are really... Um, who really value environmental justice and want to make local action, which is bigger than the school, but small enough that it's really just the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's um, what's eco-justice? 
Um, that's really just, um, like, stopping climate change before it ruins our worlds. But another big part of it is... <laughs> that's a really big... Yeah. Um, okay, that's a really it, big, a big task it's that you're big, taking on. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so that's Extinction Rebellion's mission. Um, and it's also helping people who have been... Um, improportionately disenfranchised by climate change. So a lot of communities of color and communities of Native Americans, um, they are much more highly impacted by natural disasters and climate change and by like factories and nuclear plants and stuff. It is, I'm, I don't have the number off the top right. of my head, but black people are much more likely to be living near like unhealthy places like that than white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you're looking at, like, the hurricane that just happened right. in the South, it was um, a lot of people of color and also very, very impoverished communities were mm-hmm. hurt by that. Um, I know people in New Orleans who are in, like, the wealthier part, like, saw some rain and nothing else. So mm-hmm. it really hurts impoverished communities and communities of color a lot more, which is a big part of Extinction Rebellion and just climate justice in general. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you're sort of preparing yourself to vote. Yeah, like getting ready. (laughs) Can you, I mean, there's definitely, I would say in the last election, one of the most difficult things that I heard as an adult is because people didn't like one of the candidates, they just chose not to vote. Um, Which, uh, if you know about, which I know your mother studies a lot of philosophy with me, but there's this um, concept called neutralization. And neutralization is really, when you contact something for such a long period of time, uh, you forget its value. Mm-hmm. So similarly, a lot of us have had the right to vote for a long time. We've experienced freedom for, relative freedom, of course, for our lives. And we forget what it would be like to not get to vote or not get to choose. And I'm sure as a young person in this very important election, um, you know, sort of how, how can you convince somebody to take action, that their voice matters? Um, I think one thing that is not young people, just the silver lining of, like, the turmoil going on with this election is that it's reminding people, like, you you have the right to vote because people fought for it. Mm-hmm. And so now with, like, Black Lives Matter going on and it's just bringing awareness to voter suppression that is going on right now. Also mm-hmm. with coronavirus, there's a lot of voter suppression going on. And I think that... I hope that's reminding people, like, oh, this isn't something to take for granted. Like, this isn't something I will always have if I just sit at home. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, I have nothing to do with that, but I hope that's waking people up who didn't vote in the last election or who have never voted but have always been eligible to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as young people, since I think that young people are really, like, leading, like, young people are leading, like, the Extinction Rebellion movement or Black Lives Matter, and a lot of them are making their voices heard, and a lot of these are people that can't vote, but they're so vocal, I think, that they're, like, touching people who realize I need to vote not just for myself, but for these future generations. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, the um, victims of the Parkland shooting, mm-hmm. there's, like, um, I think his name was David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez, and they were all... 16, 17, and they were on the cover of Time Magazine because of all they did, and I think, like, young people like that are really inspiring eligible voters to vote for generations that come after them. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, you know, it's so interesting because I remember when I was your age, and I, like, dreamed of being in the 60s because I thought it was so cool, and, like, oh, you know, it was, like, free love right you know like oh I wish I was in that time and it's an interesting space to sit in that us 
us younger people are living a new wave of a civil rights movement in a way that I don't I don't know if it happened like this before, but I was saying to my family last night, um, we started getting into a conversation around um, Black Lives Matter, the movement, and one of the things that struck me was we have never been at a family function and had such in-depth conversations around race, equality, and if, if that isn't change in itself, that all, all, it was all generations, all different perspectives, and it wasn't, um, it was heated, but in a good heated way, right. in a way that people were caring about their perspective and really trying to genuinely share. And I think that that, uh, a young person's voice is, it, it, you guys are the fuel to some of that movement. Right. It's your responsibility, it's our resp- my responsibility to sort of shake it up, if you will. I mean, yeah, I think talking is change. I might just think that because that's mostly all I can do is, like, talk to people. Mm. Um, but I think that that's, like, what is inspiring people right now is just listening to others. Yeah. So what is it like to be a senior right now in high school during coronavirus? Um, I mean, so coronavirus, like, started in the end of my junior year. And at that time, I was like, oh, I'll go back to school in April. I'll go back to school in May. I'll go back to school for my senior year. And now I'm in my senior year. Yeah, just, isn't this your first day? Yeah, this is my first day all in my bedroom on my computer. <laughs> um, but I think this is the first time I've really seen people, like just the people around me in high school, except today. Whereas before, like the last six months, I think we've really been waiting and counting down until this is over and we can go back to school and we can go back to the like traditions we've been waiting for. And now that we've accepted that likely we won't have these, we've just stopped trying to predict whether we will or won't and when we will or won't. And I think that acceptance is just um, allowing us to put more energy into like our education and our friends that we are able to see or however we can mm-hmm. communicate with people even if we can't see them. Mm-hmm. And that is taking a long time, but, yeah, I think that's basically the attitude of a lot of seniors I know. Yeah. So is it, what are some of the fears or anxieties that you guys, I mean, we, we didn't, we all had anxieties and fears, of course. Right. Um, but not in a way that um, sort of the world collapsed on itself. You know, all the opportunities that you look forward to, traveling is one of them, Um as a younger person, going to college, right? Um, visiting college campuses. Uh, so what are some of those anxieties or fears? Because I think it's really easy as adults to really downplay the anxieties of young people because we've lived through it. Right. Oh, it's nothing. It's just your... You'll realize one day that it was just your high school graduation um, or it was just, you know, a college visit. Right. But I think that... Um, acknowledging as adults that we didn't we didn't have these things taken away from us we we got to experience these and that's part of the joy of being this age I mean I think it's one of the anxieties is just because we have no other generation who has experienced this right now and also no other generation alive is going through like a generational loss if that makes sense people have so much stuff in their personal lives that they've lost and had some more and that is horrible but like the thing about my generation is we've all lost 
like part of our high school or our graduation or prom or something like that and just all these milestones that society like when you're young makes you look forward to so much and then like you were saying maybe when you're older you look back at them and they don't feel as important but when you haven't been there yet it like you feel the gravity of it Mm -hmm. a lot more um but yeah college is another big one because um like I'm a senior so I'm supposed to be applying in the next few months and like receiving in a few months what where I'm going and I have even the people who would be lucky enough to visit places like no one has that opportunity now because if they are open like you're risking traveling and most places I do not think are offering in-person tours Mm -hmm. so you're applying and possibly like accepting going to college and never having seen it which is like something that a lot of people have gone through but for my generation and just like my year I think it's different because it's something we expected to happen Mm -hmm. and now that's another anxiety and also just the process of applying to college is like you had so much taken away you had like now we have to learn online like no one knows how we'll handle Mm -hmm. that we had um I mean the joy of college is being with people right I mean and and going into you're you're sort of learning and developing in a way even if you're living at home you still get to go not, I don't mean online. I mean, if you go to a local college, right. you still get in-person interactions. You start to make friends um, in a reinvented identity. Right. It's like one, at one point in high school, you have most likely gone to school with people for a long period of time for some. And you've created this portion of your identity. And then you get to go to college. And a lot of people go through sort of a reinventing, right. um, a big changing, a big metamorphosis. And part of that is... The people around you impact you in a real way, um, so you might you might not have that opportunity. Right, and I know a lot of people who are in their freshman year of college now, and since they had no like real end to their senior year to their like high school career, it felt like they kind of just like slipped from high school into college. Like there was no real big like, okay, this is the end of one part of your mm-hmm. life, this is the start of another, mm-hmm. and so that's also hard when you're talking about like forming a new part of your identity when you. Mm-hmm don't really feel like you're in a new phase of your life. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people, and like maybe like my year will feel that when we go to college, are just waiting for this to end so they can really start this new part of their life. Otherwise, it's just kind of like a limbo. Which is really, I think as adults, we're all doing that. Uh, When this is over. Right. And part of being young, I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I would say particularly at your age or younger, is there's so much simple joy. And I think a lot of us have gotten back to that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember distinctly during quarantine when we were on lockdown, uh, one of my friends texted me and was like, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I pick you things up? And I remember that feeling like, oh, my God, that's so much joy. Like, we haven't been this community conscious in so Long, right. and I think in high school you are very community conscious. Um, when you're younger, joys are really simple, and you're sort of missing some of that simplicity now because you don't get to experience those things in person, right. or you're disconnected from your your friends in a way that um, nobody expected. I mean, it's not even just, like, your close friends that, like, if you need to, you can call them when you want to. You could, like, go on a walk with them when you want to. It's also the part of school where, like, you go to school and you see so many people that maybe, like, are not, like, your friends you see after school or on the weekends, but they're just, like, a part of your community. Right. And now 
like you'll see them on your screen, but like you don't really get to like have those connection, those everyday connections. Yeah. And now you really just have like your circle of people. But I think that is another like simple thing where you just miss all of these people that are a part of your life that you probably didn't think about before like losing them as a part of your life. Yeah. I mean, at Citizen, I would say that that's something as the owner and, and teacher, and I'm sure all of our teachers feel this way, is that there were just sort of these regular peripheral people in your life, but those peripheral people are not meaningless. They actually add so much like general value right. that your life feels very meaningful. And I think that that's stripping down as much as we've learned you know, everybody's teaching in these pods. It's like, okay, well, who are your closest friends? Um, or, okay, I really only talk to my closest friends or see my closest friends. But we can't exclude how important different types of people are to our general happiness. And I, right. it's, it's every age. Every age is going through that, you know? Um, and I, I'm sure, and we'll, we can talk more about, I really want to talk about social media with you. So I'm like, priming our audience to talk about what it's like to have social media as a young person um but sort of the stress of being excluded I don't know what that's like for you um before COVID as a young adult with Snapchat Instagram right Facebook because you know in the past and I don't mean to be like too reminiscent or like it was better that's, right. that's not the assumption it was just that you didn't know what everybody else was doing so there wasn't this experience of being left out as often right like you would find out maybe and it, it could be really painful but there's sort of like this over knowing about what other people are doing socially and I can tell you as an adult um part of I think a lot of people's anxiety is the experience of being indirectly left out it's not negative it's not intentional but there's an indirect exclusion that happens a lot on social media so prior to covid what what does it feel like what is sort of that experience as a young person of being excluded with social media in your life I think it really is thing that just creates bad habits. Uh-huh. So, like, say you know, like, you have a feeling that there's something going on. You could literally just go on Snap Maps. You, oh, like, no, I don't know what that you is. Can, okay, like, perfect. Teach me all the things I don't yeah. know. Okay, <laughs> Snap Maps. So on okay. Snapchat, you can swipe down. And oh there's, my um, if you want to, you can have your location on. So every like friend you have on Snapchat can see where you are. Okay. Updated the last time you opened the app. So if I, so like if I felt left out by something, I could see, oh, all my friends are here. Like, I mean, I think everyone does that, but I think that really creates bad habits because that just is like a huge negative. I don't know what the what positive. What do you mean by bad habit? Like, like by being obsessive kind mm. of about being excluded. And I think that even though like being like the pain of that has existed in every generation, yeah. obviously, and like doesn't really, doesn't always go away no matter how old you are. I think that now it's created an obsession with like knowing whether it is, and it's also put more weight on it. So it, not that the pain is greater, but it is also you're worrying about it before it happens, mm. whether or not it's even happening to you. So would you say that that has generally increased... I'm not even talking about you specifically, but people around you do feel like that has generally increased um, your generation's anxiety because I talk to teachers a lot, um, particularly teachers in our area who go to our um, yoga studio, Mm -hmm. and they will talk to me about 
the levels of anxiety that children have now are far greater. We had anxiety. I remember being nervous about college. Um, I remember being nervous about my friend groups. It wasn't that... We didn't have that. Right. But to what degree? I mean, I think that social media obviously didn't invent, like, anxiety and mental health issues. <laughs> no, but, it did not. I like that. It did right. not invent it. You're I think right. it created, like, a new, a new like, sect of it. Mm. Like, a new... And, a, like, another, like, bad habit is, like, when people... Mm. When you're looking to, like, post something on social media, it's... N- obviously not for everybody, but I think a bad habit it can create is to prove something. And that can, like, relate to exclusion. Like, oh, look who I'm with tonight. Right. Um... Or, like, look where I am right now. Like, just all these things. That's another bad habit that I don't think people realize when it's happening because they feel happy. Like, oh, I get to share this. But they're not always doing it because they want to share it with people that they care about, like, caring about their lives. They do it to prove something to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I think that does create, like, a lot of mental health issues and stuff. And... I mean, it's hard to deal with because it's not so easy to just tell someone, oh, like, just don't care about social media as much when, like, you've been... Try to tell that to adults. Right. I don't mean that you're not an adult, but all ages. I'll say all ages. No, yeah. No, it's definitely not just my, like, my year. It's so hard. Yeah, a lot of people get really obsessive about it. Um, Can you... I mean, I don't know if this is too deep, but can you... Do you have, like, a specific instance for you personally that was like painful that because I want to sort of talk about how you can recover from it or how you can gain a more positive perspective around Mm -hmm. it and and I think that you have to go through it in order to understand how to heal from it right I mean even if it's something small I don't know if I have like an example I think that I'm a person who's like really become detached from social media as I've been in high school, but I've been on, like, I've How do you do that? I mean, I think growing from instances that happened to me when I was a lot younger. So, like, when I was fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade and things would happen, I can't think of anything specific, but probably I put a lot of weight on social media and, like, just my image. Yeah. And I think that that made me really like unhappy and I was such a young kid that like I don't know why like a 12 year old would be worried about like her Instagram but that's what happens right and so when I got to high school and I realized I just kind of like looked back at my like younger self I was like that's like I mean stupid is the wrong word but I was like that's kind of stupid I spent so much energy on this and so now I feel like I really don't get that much affected by social media um so how how could you if you were talking to the audience and somebody's really affected by you know exclusion Mm -hmm. like what people are doing you know even these um it's like something really small but there's all these like tag your best friends right you know those like challenges that seem like so they're they are they're they're small and they don't really mean anything but those can still be exclusive right and so how would you recommend to people to develop that sense of detachment? I mean, I think this is something you have to, like, you can't just hear and be like, oh, that makes sense. It's like you have to really, like, practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that when you see people, like, I think it's often purpose when it's on t- purposeful when it's on social media because mm-hmm. they know other people can see it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when I see stuff like that, I'm like, oh, like, why do they care so much to leave me out, to make me feel this way Mm -hmm. and that makes me feel like 
well, if they're the one putting so much energy into making someone else feel negative, like, that really says something more about that person than it does about me. Yeah. And, like, I think people might hear that and be like, oh, yeah, but then they don't, it doesn't work right away. I think that's something you just have to, like, kind of understand with each instance, and then it becomes, like, just a second nature, like, how you react to it. Awesome. And you say you don't practice yoga. (laughs) Um, So what was it like being... So in your years right now, you're really formulating your sense of self. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always do. I feel like I'm formulating my sense of right. self, even at this age. Um, but you're formulating a clear vision of who you are, who you want to become, um, not that it stays fixed. And at the same time, something that I didn't have to do, I didn't even have to do it in college. I, I didn't even know what Instagram was until I was like 28. Right. And I thought it was like a filter for like your photos. And then like I would post them on Facebook. You know, like I had no clue yeah. like what Instagram was trying to make me do. Um, but how do you, how did you sort of co-create? Because you are sort of, you're co-creating two very distinct identities. You're creating... Um, a somewhat of an idealized self, even though you don't mean to, it, right. how can you not, you know, you're not, and some people try as much as they can to post like real Instagram photos, but it's still somewhat of a manufactured identity. Right. And at the same time, you're trying to create you, Olivia, like here I am, this living, breathing person that is different all the time and is trying to evolve. So how did, how did you do that? Or how do you navigate that? Um, I mean, I think it's complicated. Like, if you look at my Instagram, I probably have, like, 1,100 followers, but I don't know 1,100 people. Like, if I scrolled through, I'd be like, who? Just, like, (laughs) halfway through. Um, so I think that, I think that that can be something that, like, where you're trying to create an identity for other people when you have social media in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, like, to co-create them, it's, your Instagram, like, in your Snapchat and your social media identity that you present to the world has to come after. And mm-hmm. so, like, also, you when you think about it, when you see someone post something, like, you make an assumption about them. Mm-hmm. So it goes two ways. It goes, like, I have to, like, show who I am, but it's also, like, you shouldn't be assuming who other people are from their posts on social media if you don't want the same to happen to you. It's like a creating, adding to a culture, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that too often people do it the opposite, where first they're like, oh, I like this picture. I look really good here. And I got like 400 likes on it. And then they build their identity from there, mm-hmm. especially when you're so young and you're exposed to social media. Like I was like in middle school. And there's a lot of um, statistics. I can't remember whose podcast. Maybe it was, maybe it was Sam Harris's podcast. Um, and they were interviewing, um, I'll find it for you and send it to you. Okay. But they were interviewing um, somebody about when social media should be introduced to children and it should be for, for mental health reasons. And anytime before 14, it becomes a very confusing time right. to, for children to have something like Instagram and create that identity and at the same time create their own personal identity and you're exactly right like there's a you can micromanage your social media identity and think that that's how you want your real identity um to formulate itself and i also think what's interesting to watch people who want to become sort of social media socialites Mm -hmm. is is over time their in-person identity changes to their social media right. identity versus the 
the other way around, which is sort of what you're saying, is that you need to establish like what's inside to then make a decision of how you want to portray yourself. Like, what is your message right. outside? I mean, I think another thing is it's really people's choice how much of themselves they want to yes. convey. Yes. So when you're talking about, like, influencers and stuff, you think you're seeing their whole life. Like, clearly you're not. But I'm just saying, like, with other high schoolers, also, if you look at my Instagram, probably what you can tell about me is, like, maybe some of the music I like and, like, four of the friends I have. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really tell you anything about me. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people in high school is they don't, if, if you have like a healthy relationship with social media, it's that you're not putting all of your identity out there yeah. because then either like A, you're worried about it or B, other people are criticizing you on social media because people can just be immature mm-hmm. and like feel distanced from you. And yeah. then that's like what cyberbullying is. Right. But even less than that, just assuming what people think. And I actually think that's the best way to have a healthy relationship if you're just like a normal like high schooler with social mm-hmm. media. is like you, person. Just person, yeah. How a person. Yeah. That's, that's true. I think that one of the things that I did with mine is I decided what it was for. Yeah. And I think for people who are listening, um, not to say that I have a perfect relationship with social media. I don't either. Um, but I think we have to decide what it's for. What is its purpose in your day-to-day life? For me, it's you know citizen yoga, mental health, and philosophy, essentially. And everything else is somewhat excluded from my social media. I always say, like, I don't post my personal life as much as possible. Right. Because then my social media identity becomes sort of this conglomerate conglomerate of, uh, like, who am I? Right. You, you have to then keep asking yourself, like, well, who am I? Am right. I this trend in this filter? And, like, am I having an experience for other people to witness the experience? Or am I in this experience... For the sake of the experience. Right. And I think at some point in my life, I realized that in every experience that I was having, not on purpose, I would think about, oh, would this be a good photo? Oh, is this a moment that I should take a photo? Right. And even that, like, little nudge of the mind made me out of the experience itself. Yeah. And because of that, there was always this low level of anxiety that I was experiencing in the present moment. Right. Because I'm constantly trying to figure out what content I should be sharing versus being in, like, the content of my own life. Right. Which is a strange thing to think about. And I also think it's interesting, like, because you're asking about it in high school. Yeah. But, like, you're talking about how, like, you on social media have also been figuring out, like, your own relationship with it. So high schoolers and, like, people younger than me, like, they have no one to, like, guide them through this. Like, my sister is, like, 14 years older than me, and she got Instagram, like, the same time as I did. And so she didn't know how to, like, tell me what... I would tell her what to do. I'd be like, Amanda, why would you post that? Like, that's the worst picture. Like, that's what it it is like. And you have no one to tell you, like, this is wrong. Right. Um, And so I think people are still, like, trying to figure it out today. Like, the study you talked about. It's probably really recent. Yeah. And psychologists, like, just science is still figuring out the effects on mental health. I I mean, particularly on women, it's much um, more detrimental because we uh, are much more comparative in our thinking than um, men. This was Mm -hmm. something that they found in the study that I will find you, I promise. Um, But speaking of transition, I mean, I felt at your... I had a really good experience in, like, my younger years. Elementary school, middle school, high school. Not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. 
And then when I went to Northwestern, um, interestingly, your dad and I have talked about Northwestern as, like, this very interesting right. university experience. And he had a very similar experience, even though he... Is a lot a, older. Well, let's just call him a few years older. Okay. We'll just call him a few years older. Um, and so, you know, nobody was really there coaching me into transition. Mm-hmm. How, how can you just go from living at home and you're just the assumption is like college will be the best years of your life. Good luck. Right. You know, no real like personality management, no like, okay, this is how you live as an independent person. Um, and so if you had coaching on transitions, Mm -hmm. you know, what as a younger person do you feel you need to learn more of or what, what, what guidance are you seeking from the world right now that you feel like you're not getting? I mean, a lot of it is just stuff like no one could tell me with like all the this coronavirus and all this stuff going on. But I think just in general, it's like, are you supposed to feel this way is usually the main question that people have because they don't talk about it that much. Yeah. I mean, it's like just, anxious or right. just, like, no, I'm, I mean, is it oh. like, are you supposed to feel anxious? Are you supposed to feel these many emotions like this quantity of emotion right like how like what are you sort of is your question what's normal yeah like like I just think that like people go through like similar processes in certain like phases of their life and they don't talk about the negative parts as much and so what people feel like really isolated even more so when they're already feeling like anxiety and depression or things like that or just like a normal Mm -hmm. sadness feeling Um, and they don't know how to communicate Mm -hmm. because it's, I don't think it's normalized enough. I mean, looping it back to social media a little bit, I think that's where social media can sometimes play a positive role. Yeah. If you, there are a lot of people who aren't like influencers on social media. I think this has happened more in recent years where people will be more honest just with like the whole world, strangers. And I think that is really can be a positive force because you're saying, oh, I don't even know this person, but they're going through something exactly like I am. Yeah. And so I think you have to look for, like, authenticity on social media more so than you look at, like, the influencers and, like, Kendall Jenner and stuff like that. Oof, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what could adults do or role models in your life? I mean, I know, obviously, your mother is a wonderful role model and has really helped you, even when you were talking to me before this, like, reframe COVID into a more positive experience. Right. You know, you were saying, like, I have learned to take a negative experience and try to find, like, what are what are those reframing questions your mom says? And she says, like, how does this inspire you? Right. You know, how does this, um, you know, challenge you in a way that makes you stronger? Yeah. You know, those, it seems like those are built into your psyche that not everybody else has. Right. Um, but if you were an adult watching 18-year-olds, 16-year-olds go through, whether it's COVID or, you know, sort of the civil rights movement, being a regular teenager, social media, you know, how can we be helpful to you? I think just like, it's not really about making people feel better in the moment. I think it's what I was saying before, it's just like normalizing it. I feel like people feel really isolated by that. And like when you're looking at, like, if, like, I think adults should be looking at my generation and be thinking, like, 
not be thinking like how do I feel right now but how would I feel how did I feel and I think that like what you were saying like adults can forget like the simplicities that like make them happy and I think they just often forget like the difference in how the world is perceived when you're younger mm-hmm. and I think that makes it difficult because that's who you're asking questions to when you're younger is the old people older than you and like the adults in your life but they don't actually know what you're feeling mm-hmm. and so I really think it's just like it's not, like, so complicated. I really just think it's, like, empathy and trying to not make people feel like they shouldn't be feeling this way mm-hmm. or they're the only person. Yeah. That's, um... I think that there's there's a lot of education and a lot of questions that we could be asking each other. I mean, that's really what we're learning as a society. Right. Is that we haven't been asking questions, which means we including myself, haven't been listening in a way that we need to be listening Mm -hmm. to people around us, whether it's younger generations, people of different races, ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, what? how are you living your life? Right. um, Something that we had mentioned and you had mentioned um, that I think is important, especially if you're trying to have more open conversation, is not scaring people um, into not speaking. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that... I think on social media it's a different experience because you have a very public platform. Right. Um, which I've, I've experienced. Like, I don't know if I should say this. I don't want to speak now. Right. Um, but what what is what is that experience for you right now? What are you watching in the world and sort of witnessing as this movement, as much as we're helping people speak out, I think that we're also tearing people down in a way that we haven't before. Right. Um, I mean, I think a good example of something like we should be doing, this is kind of a broad, a big example, but if you look at like the DNC, if mm-hmm. anyone watched that, is how it included people from all over the spectrum of people who wanted to like support this party and this movement. Yeah. And it had John Kasich, who's, like, a lifelong Republican, still still considers himself a Republican, and was not at the RNC. He mm-hmm. was at the DNC. I think, like, that's kind of a big example, but I think that it's not that we shouldn't be criticizing people or telling people, like, this is morally wrong. Right. It's just that when people are learning, like, we should appreciate that and allow that, and that not everybody has it all right in their head, or mm-hmm. no, no one has it all figured out in their head. And I think that's a part of cancel culture that's a big mistake. Um, have you heard of this actress, Jamila Jamil? Oh, she's like this awesome actress, but she's really a big um, like social justice advocate and body positivity advocate. And I saw this interview with her where she was talking about how she's lucky social media wasn't a big thing when she was like in college and stuff because she said, oh, I totally would have been canceled like 50 times and she wouldn't have been the awesome advocate she is today and role model for like so many young people Mm -hmm. and women and I think that's a mistake that cancel culture makes where like we should allow people to make mistakes and learn and become better from them Mm -hmm. and I thought I don't think it gives enough room for people to do that so what is cancel culture I think cancel culture is partly shaming people into not speaking and partly just like banning them from social acceptance Mm -hmm. I don't know the exact right way to 
to where say it. Where do you it. see this? Like, where do you, where do you witness cancel culture? You mean, like, in high school? Or in general, in the world? Um, in the world, I think it almost always happens on social media. Mm-hmm. I think that's really why cancel culture exists, is because either things will be revealed on social media or someone will say the wrong thing, like, mm-hmm. quote, on social media, and they will be canceled from it. And I think that, like... A, we need to make sure we understand what really happened and not take one side of the story. And B, we need to um, give people room to grow. But when, like, something happens, like, when um, someone is canceled for something that, like, let's say it was, like, racist towards a certain group of people, I'm not going to speak on behalf of how these people feel mm-hmm. from what happened. I'm not going to say, oh, we should forgive this person because I don't know what it's like to be a victim of an act or statement mm-hmm. that targeted that group. And so I think that that's another mistake people make in that we shouldn't speak for entire groups of people or ever make blanket statements. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's another counter-argument to it. So what, as a, how do you see it in high school? What What's cancel culture in your world? I mean, cancel culture is also on social media a lot, but I think it's, it's not as big of a deal, but in some ways it's worse because in high school people don't look for the facts as much, which you think they might not even, like, Either in the real world. It yeah. is everybody. But, I don't know if anybody's looking for the right. facts. I think they really, really don't in high school, though. And people could say anything and people will take it to be true. Mm. If it's, like, phrased like, like give a... Give us an, can you give me an example? Mm-hmm. Like, um... There was a story, there was a public Instagram story, like, from someone at my school where they said this girl, um, who also went to my school, like, says the N-word all the time. And so people immediately, like, blocked this other girl, which I I have no idea if it was true or not, but this is just an example where we don't know, Mm -hmm. and, like, even if it was true, I just think it shows, like... It, was this really even the right way to handle it if it was true? Yeah. I think the best way to do things is to approach people privately or personally because another problem with cancel culture is when you attack someone publicly, they just become defensive. They're not willing to change or to grow. And when you come up to someone and said you did this wrong mm-hmm. and you're, you're not shaming them, I think that they're more willing to listen and to be willing to change. So it's interesting because I had an experience and... Um, some people will say that it's necessary to publicly call out organizations so that they feel the ramification of their action, and that's part of how you create change. Mm-hmm. And there, I'm sure there's some truth to that. And at the same time, there's the other line of making people afraid to speak out, um, potentially claiming something that isn't something. Right. Um, and and I, I call it, in some ways, there's another side of that, which is cyberbullying. Um, yeah. And so how, how do you distinguish when it's right to publicly... I, I don't have the answer for this. This is a hard yeah. question. How do you distinguish when it's right to call somebody out socially mm-hmm. like on social media in a more public way and right. how do you know when it's right to do something privately because I agree with you a hundred percent on that um I mean I this obviously can't be right for like every single yeah, case sure, but this is your perspective you're allowed yeah. to don't be afraid to speak your truth okay speak your truth. <laughs> I think that often when people do things publicly it might be okay then to call them out publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I see what you're saying. So it's like and like. Right. 
And when you're talking about public figures, when you're talking about cancel culture, like, then you're choosing to be criticized publicly by mm-hmm. being, like, a celebrity or a politician or whatever mm-hmm. you are. So I th- I don't think that's the same. Whereas in high school, no one's a public figure, or you shouldn't be. Yeah, hopefully you're not. <laughs> so I don't really think it's... I can't think of an example where it's okay to do that, where... But I, I'm, I hope people know I'm not mixing up, like, cancel culture with they, me, too. Don't, don't, don't... Yeah, you don't have to preface. Okay. It's okay. But, yeah, I, I don't really think in high school it's... I can't think of an example where I would say, oh, yeah, you should, like, use social media to shame this person because in high school everyone is young and makes mistakes and is choosing not to be a... Pub- doesn't really mm-hmm. have the choice to be a public figure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's um, sort of the way to combat the fear of being canceled. At least one of the things that I've thought a lot about recently mm-hmm. is, like, you have to have, like, superhuman humility. Like, that's, like... Right. Right? That has to become your superhero power is humility. And um, I think... I don't remember where I had read it, but it essentially said, like, you have to be humble enough to fumble. Okay. And if you're not humble to fumble, then you're never going to grow. Right. And part of speaking your truth is fumbling around. Like, being okay if somebody that's listening to this thinks something other than what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And being willing to say like oh that wasn't true or that's not what I meant in that moment but I I, that's what I said right but that's one sort of anecdote for me personally if I feel like I could be canceled by something I said or I'm afraid because I shared something that was like inappropriate which I'm sure that I've done five million times right (laughs) um just because I just talk so much all the time (laughs) um but I think that there is like you have to become superhuman in your humility. And if you're not, then you're one, you can't learn, mm-hmm. but you also, um, you'll never try to be better. No. I, yeah. I, I mean, I guess that that's an and statement. It's you'll never learn and you will not try to be better. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. So I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I don't know. What's okay. the question? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> I mean, I just think that that's, um, you'd mentioned, I don't want to go too deep, potentially, and we're going to wrap up soon, but... Okay. Um, you had mentioned Me Too very quickly. Okay. <laughs> you sort of were like, I don't mean this. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm sure as a young woman, um, this was a really... I mean, as a woman who, me, myself, have had my own experiences uh, with men in a negative way... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, like, having, like, my own flashback to that, right. like, to the start of that movement. Um, what, what was it like witnessing that movement? Um, I feel like you guys have been so privileged to see incredible, empowering movements in your young age. I feel like we sort of didn't really get that. Um, oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, okay. Um, no, I totally agree. I think that it's something that really, like, shapes your perspective on the world as you go into it. I think that, like, watching it happen was at sometimes, like, liberating and at sometimes upsetting because it kind of showed you people who didn't care more clearly. Mm-hmm. And, like... So how does Me Too and cancel culture? Because you sort of, like, made a little right. bit of a reference. How do those things... Where, how do those things commingle in your mind? Because um, I'm not sure if I know. 
I mean, I think a lot of the times they can, like, they can be used the same way on social media, where someone will be called out for something. Like, that's what Me Too is. It started on right. social media, and that, it's like a hashtag. Um, I think another thing is, like, have you heard of the comedian Louis C.K.? Mm-hmm. So he was, like, canceled mm-hmm. for sexually harassing women, and then recently comedians and, like, public figures have said, oh, like, let's Louis C.K. back. Like, he mm-hmm. should come back. Um, I think that's something else that I don't know if I'm qualified enough to talk about. Why? Because I'm not really an expert on, like, sexual harassment or assault, and so I don't know, like, the psychology behind people that, um... But you're an expert on your perspective, so what's your perspective? I think that it is a case-by-case thing. I think that when you look at people in positions of power who use power to exploit women, or really anybody, I don't think that's okay. And I think those, in in the way, like, I don't think it's really canceling to take people out of positions of power when yes. they use it in the wrong way. I don't think that's cancel culture. But you feel like it, it gets is. mixed up. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important part of the Me Too movement, and that's why it was such a big deal, because it actually made change mm. in politics, in mm-hmm. Hollywood in just the work, the everyday workplace, right? Um, for like women, not not public figures, even just all women, and that's what the Me Too movement was, which is not the same thing as cancel culture in my mind. Okay. Yeah. So if you could think of, I usually ask this in the, I sometimes ask this in the beginning, but at this moment in your life, um, what would you say your mission is? Like, how would you define the thing that inspires you and drives you right now? Huh. Um, I think that really, like, my mission in life is just defined by the world as it is right now. And so when I look at the world and I see what makes me the most angry, that's what I want to fix. Mm. And that's really what I think the country is doing right now is just some, like, I'm a small part of this huge movement and that's really what I'm just focused on right now is Black Lives Matter and environmental justice. And what I talked about at the beginning is, I mean, I guess just basic equality. I think it's like we're talking about how it's so amazing for like my generation to grow up watching these things. But then we we don't always feel so like lucky because we look and like, like this is like so amazing. Like this is progress. Like there's so much to do. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like. It's a little bit of both where, like, yes, we're so lucky to be growing up in this time, but there's still so much we want to do before the next generation comes, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, you did a great <laughs> job. Um, that's Olivia Warren. Her mom, Cindy Warren, teaches at um, the Cleveland location and on the Royal Oak schedule. I'm super inspired by everything that you're doing and... Um, yeah, I think you have a really nice perspective on the world. And so hopefully if you're a parent listening, if you're a young person listening, uh, this can give you some insight into how to better support people who are in high school, who are in middle school. Um, and maybe it inspires you if you're an adult and you're not as active in the civil rights movement, if you're not as active in eco-justice to, to get going. Well, I loved being here. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome.